Hi, I'm Al Lowe, and I'm listening to Adventure Game Hotspot. Welcome back, or welcome front if it's the first time joining us. I am Joshua, YouTube's Weird Gaming Adventure. As always, up there, we have Jack Allen. Hello. And we have Matt today. We know Matt from Tex Murphy and a few other things. We're going to get to know him a whole lot more after this. This is the Adventure Game Hotspot podcast. Now, before we start talking to Matt and introducing him a little bit more, we're going to go into the week that was in Adventure Game Hotspot. Take it away, Jack. You know, before yesterday, I thought this was going to be a really empty segment. A strange quirk of scheduling. We're sort of recording this podcast very soon after our last one. But I'm going to have nothing to say. And then everyone and anyone and, you know, came out, like, released their game or released some major news or this, that. And this. So, like, I've just been running ragged the last two days. So, like, uh, first, big news. Uh, Cyan announced uh, a release date for Firmament. Yay. On... Uh, May 18th, so we can all look forward to that. And the first trailer for Tintin Reporter, Cigars of the Pharaoh, landed today. I know we're really looking forward to that one. And we, we wanted to see more of that, so uh, I was really happy to uh, see that. Two big Kickstarters uh, started today. One for a great-looking point-and-click adventure called The Adventures of Brian Scott. And Robert Holmes is back with a new uh, musical album on Kickstarter called Son of Sequel. So very much along the lines of the last one. Sequel, of course. Uh, and then a, just a bunch of uh, new releases, too. Paranorma Site, uh, The Seven Mysteries of Hanjo by Square Enix uh, landed this week. Uh, fun little sort of dark fairy tale called Creepy Tale 3. And there's the whole whack of ports. Uh, I'm telling you, this is like a good time for console gamers. So there's Testament of Sherlock Holmes and Papachura and Brock the Investigator and Lucy Dreaming. And blah, blah, blah. You don't even need it at PC anymore to play adventure games. So. Yeah, you know what? I was uh, I was really excited to see that new Tintin um, trailer that came out. Have you been following any of the upcoming games, Matt? Uh, not as much as I like, mainly, mainly because I just recently changed jobs and that's been definitely keeping me busy. But I have heard of the new Tintin one and I'm super excited about that one because I was excited for more Tintin movies and they kind of just like shelved those. And I was just like, well, just I got to get Tintin somehow. That is the voice of Matt, my friend. Why don't you introduce yourself? Tell everybody what uh, what you've been working on in the past and, and what you're doing now. Okay, yes. Uh, so I'm Matt Van Roon. I came aboard on the Tex Murphy series first off as a fan playing the games, and then uh, my first of the Tex Murphy games I actually became a developer on was uh, Tesla Effect as a visual effects artist, compositor, video editor, etc. It was a many hats kind of production, being a Kickstarter with a relatively small team. And then I stuck around in the Tex Murphy community for quite some time. Uh, was a part of the uh, original Poison Pawn team until that uh, was unfortunately sunset at some point. And then have been most recently uh, working on the Pandora Directive remaster, which we've had a few discussions about previously. Um, but yeah, only just very recently I have departed the company of Big Finish Game on good terms, still very much connected with them and the Tex Murphy universe. Uh, but uh, venturing onto new adventures as adventure adventurers do. <laughs> I love it. You're an adventurer and you're going on, on new adventures. So give us a little bit more of, of what this new adventure is that you're that you're into right now. Uh, sure. So I've uh, moved over to a company called Niantic, uh, which is most famous for their Pokemon Go. So a lot of mobile games, etc. I joined them as their new lead user experience designer. 
Uh, UX has been one of the things I've been extremely passionate about and one of the things I contributed heavily towards Big Finish Games' parent company, that is the True Golf, where they worked on sports simulation, physical simulation, body tracking, augmented reality, that kind of stuff. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's a huge to be able to sort of work for a company, you know, as prestigious as they are, as big as they are as well with a franchise. I mean, I wouldn't call myself a rabid Pigo fan or a Pokemon player, but to work for a company that works on a franchise that is dear to many people's hearts, particularly close friends of mine, including myself, is, uh, is definitely a new adventure, that's for sure. Oh, man. So you're the guy that I can blame for being embarrassed <clears throat> for when I'm actually walking with my phone out and texting. I'm embarrassed now because <laughs> people are like, are you, are you playing Pokemon Go? <laughs> like it's it's rude it's this guy's fault i've never played it more so than i have like since uh starting at this company but you know i'm not working on that particular project i'm working on some of their other upcoming projects to which i don't have the ability to speak of at the moment because they're still you know under wraps um but yeah i'll be working on you know there's quite a few good things coming from them well, that's great. So that's what you're working on now. Um, we're going to talk lots more about Tex Murphy, of course, but uh, a, a noticeable omission of your history is a certain game that I understand you worked on called Full Moon in San Francisco. <laughs> it's going way back. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your involvement wow. in that game. Yeah, there's a lot of cringe there. And to be perfectly clear, the cringe is not on behalf of the developers who made the game. It's to, it's to do with my involvement. So way back when the original, original Tex Murphy Radio Theater came out, and that was like Aaron Connors and Chris Jones's like apology offering to the community as to why <laughs> Tex Murphy was sunset for so long post-Microsoft acquisition, uh, they made a radio theater. And then me and my brother decided, hey, you know, let's let's make our own kind of fan radio theater. So we made one called Lombard Street, which obviously takes on after the Lombard Street ending of the Pandora Directive. And my brother voiced Tex Murphy, and I voiced a whole bunch of other things. And then these this developer, I think in Canada, Alberta, they were based in, um, were making a game. You know, an indie game, very small indie production uh, of a very much Tex Murphy inspired game called Full Moon in San Francisco. And I think I think the game was being made in Visual Basic, just to give you a sort of a general idea of like the engine that they were working in. And yeah. they had listened to Lombard Street and thought, you know, these guys are good, and I guess they'll probably be cheap, cheaper yeah, than like, the real and thing. Is a... <laughs> <laughs> so would they be interested in doing some characters for Full Moon in San Francisco? So my brother, who voiced Tex Murphy in our Lombard Street fan main, ended up voicing the main character and then a school friend of mine she ended up voicing the female character and of course she uh she was terrible at an american accent and they insisted <laughs> on an american accent and uh <laughs> well the rest is history i played a few characters as well the game was fine i mean it was an indie game it was it was it was playable it was exciting it was an excellent effort but uh looking back to some of our voice work on that um it was literally on you remember those old like white microphones you'd get with your PC, those little yes. arm oh, mics, yeah. cheap ones. Mm -hmm. Like what had happened Real was- Real high this... quality stuff we're talking. Yeah, that was the mic we were commissioned to use for that project. Uh, that was actually sent out to us, one of those microphones. Wow. Because, uh, um, <laughs> so that was kind of what we were using and the rest of the voice artists. So yeah, it was this cool little, um, you know, a, a lot of people called it kind of like an MS Paint style detective uh, coded all in Visual Basic. And 
uh, we did some voice work for it, and and I cringe, I cringed immediately, and <laughs> I can only imagine what I'd, what I think now. I don't know if it's available on an indie archive or not. Um, it probably is. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think I've got it somewhere. So I'm <laughs> like, you've you've inspired me to pull it out and listen just for that. But uh, so you never felt any inclination to continue with that side of things afterwards. Oh, I'd love to get into voiceover. I'm just waiting for my voice to get like more mature and raspy <laughs> before I could do that. I need my range. Um, what I find interesting is since I've gotten into writing, and we'll get to this topic maybe later on, I don't want to monopolize with it, but since I've gotten into writing, I do a lot of read-alouds of my own work, and I found that I always, like the voice I'm giving you right now, I always will stumble on sentences, but when I start to do a slight like you know, uh, what's the John Lee version of the accent with a slight British accent. It, it ends up, I never stumble. I can mm. read an entire chapter without stumbling when I force an accent. And uh, my partner at the time, she turns to me after I read a chapter and goes, you should do that more often. And I'm like, <laughs> eh, maybe, we'll see. I mean, I was in full moon in San Francisco, goddammit. Yeah, right. <laughs> I got history. Yes, exactly. It's it's such a different world that we're living in nowadays with when it comes to you mentioned voiceovers, voice acting, or recording vocals in general. You could do it from your closet. So what kind of setup are you are you using today? Um well for example the setup I'm using today, so this microphone here I'll sort of bring up to view. This is actually overkill for general podcasting because I was a videographer for many years and sure. so I bought this relatively expensive Rode NTG3, which mm -hmm. is like a in-the-field shotgun microphone. I think it's I, like eight. I, I, I feel one. a little intimidated by that thing. I've got one in here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, it's way overkill, but I don't really use it for filming anymore, so now it's my podcasting mic. So, you know, a lot of voice actors swear by shotgun microphones because of their hypercardioid pattern. Very good for canceling out the noise, but uh, you're exactly right. There are some, I mean, I know a really fantastic voice actor and voice producer, close mm -hmm. friend of mine, George Ledoux, mm -hmm. who's worked closely, you know, with Wes Johnson and a whole bunch of other people. Um, you know, he swears by, you know, the nice home setup, like work with what you can afford sure. and just, uh, just make sure it sounds good and have at least some basic editing chops and you can be a voice actor. So I envy a lot of people wanting to get into voice acting, knowing that they have the kit to start getting into games because I definitely want more voice act. I mean, I, I hate this whole AI thing that's happening at the moment. It's, it's driving me bonkers. And I really feel for these artists and voice actors who now have to compete with that as well as each other. Well, they have to compete with their own voice too. Uh, it's can, true. Uh, yeah. I can I can make Matt Von Ruin's voice with AI. You know, you can I can make yeah. you say whatever you want or whatever I, I, I recently, want. I recently saw a tweet by I think it's Gemma Bain, uh, the late John Bain's mm -hmm. uh, uh, wife, and she said that one of the saddest things she's had to do is consider deleting John Bain, otherwise known as Total Biscuit, his entire library of video and voice work online because people are using it to train things yeah. and do social commentary in his voice. And he has since passed. Like, how terrible is that that she has to deal with that for her late husband? Yeah, that's a that's a real shame. You know, we've got this... Uh this fun little project that we're working on that we're going to be announcing pretty soon. And so I was talking with some people that do famous voice acting like Dominic, uh, what, Arm what is Armato. Armato. And 
There goes my microphone that I pulled out to show everybody my <laughs> my shotgun. Uh, drop the mic. Yeah, drop. Boom. We're done. Pack it up. That's talking <laughs> with uh, with Rolf. Um, Gosh, uh, I can't. Sacrum. Yeah, you help me out, Jack. You. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just finish your sentences. Right. You, you just give me enough to go on. Uh, both of them said that they that they'd happily do it for, but it'd be quicker if I literally just AI'd their voice and just wrote anything that I want. I'm like, interesting. So that's that's. You're just saying okay to that. It's crazy where we're at nowadays. Just make anything you want. You know, no, some voice anything. actors will, will give their consent to that. I mean, think of Bruce Willis was on the, uh, you know, an actor who said that he's going to consent to his his physical appearance for mm-hmm. to live perpetually. And I think, you know, some actors and some voice actors, you know, have good intentions in offering that option for people because they want to, you know, who doesn't want to live forever? It's like the old Roman adage, you know, you want to live forever, people. Uh, and, but, you know, the the... Where it gets a little hairy is when it's happening without a lot of people's consent, mm-hmm. and you know what these things are trained on, and that, and, and we can have a whole other yeah. podcast on this, you know, as it is. But yeah, it's just it's it's touchy, and it's, it's new. a huge topic right now. So it, it's yes. it's it's such a huge thing going on. Yeah, yeah, I had no idea it was such a big thing. Like I, I've been more focused on the writing element of you know AI is doing some relatively impressive writing too, and I'm starting to go. Okay, how long till they start coming after the writers' jobs? But, Which uh, one of our no staff is using that prevalent AI. voice acting too? Wow, that's that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there definitely well, needs to be some accountability and some standards, and we'll, it'll be interesting to see how this evolves. Well, it's probably just as well maybe you didn't pick voice acting as a career. But uh, okay, so let's, <laughs> let's go get back into gaming here before we're all too depressed to continue. Um, so. Obviously, you have a great love for Tex Murphy. When did you first uh, get to know Tex Murphy and get into gaming and all that sort of thing? Sure. Yeah, Tex Murphy has been something that I... I, I, Under Killing Moon was the very first Tex Murphy game I played uh, when my brother showed it to me and said, you know, this is an absolutely fantastic... Ruined me because we we purchased the Mm -hmm. game before we even had a machine, booted it up. It's the first ever experience. And to set the bar that high, Mm. to go straight from never playing a PC game to playing one with 3D environments and full motion video kind of ruined us because a lot of the contemporaries while being fantastic games you know like seventh guest and and all those kind of things were were node-based you know exploration games pre-rendered node-based mist that kind of stuff (laughs) and so to have full 3d freedom of movement was was mind-blowing you know even someone who had never experienced pc games before that was mind-blowing to me because i went straight from atari to super nintendo to Tex Murphy. So you can imagine like that was huge. Yeah. And that's how I fell in love with PC games in the Tex Murphy universe. And as I mentioned, uh, Tex Murphy was the whole reason I opted to choose a college university path in that type of digital creation, um, which ultimately led to me to get jobs close-ish to it in Australia. But one thing about Australia that may still be the case, I'm not sure, Australians can probably attest to this is it still is in its infancy in terms of being a truly out-of-the-box creative uh, nation in terms of the video game industry and, and to some degree the film industry. I mean, a lot of people will say that Australians are some of the best people to work with in film and games, but you'll find that a lot of Australians will pursue their career in the US or the UK yeah. or New Zealand. They'll take their talent elsewhere. And my question is, you know, what's, what's happening in the Australian industry? And I think it's getting better. And that's precisely why I jumped at the opportunity that 
when they were making Tesla Effect, I said, you guys are the entire reason I got into this in the first place. Uh, would you like to see my portfolio? And their response was, uh, love it. Uh, come help us work on this game. And so I was there. We don't even have to ask the questions. Matt just answers them before before we ask them. I love it. It's, all, it's almost like you've done this. You've done this before. Okay, so you have worked with Tex Murphy. Literally, you worked with Tex Murphy and the game. So, what is your favorite Tex Murphy game? And what is say Chris Jones' favorite Tex Murphy game? Sure. Um, I can answer both those questions with the same game, and that would be the Pandora Directive, which is why we were so excited about the remaster, which I won't jump ahead again, I promise. Um, but <laughs> Oh, there's yeah. a remaster? Oh. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was it was huge. So, Under a Killing Moon was fantastic, and it's a lot of people's favorite Tex Murphy game because it's uh, the most well-known. Pandora may not be as well-known as Under a Killing Moon, because it didn't technically break as much ground, but what it did was take Andrew Killing Moon and refine it mm. in every possible way. And that was thanks to Adrian Cara's involvement as a director, uh, Chris Jones's experience as an actor, mm. and Aaron Connor's development as a writer. I think that all conglomerated in this phenomenal offering. And not only that, it was multiple endings, multiple gameplay parts, and the mood and the style of it was just uh, absolutely phenomenal. That's why it's a favorite of mine. Um, it's a favorite of Chris Jones's as well. And that's why when we sat in a meeting room and during our lunch break at uh, True Golf slash Big Finish Games, we spent a week's worth of lunch breaks just playing through it together, refreshing our memory on on what made it such a classic game. So it, it still is to this day most of, I guess, Big Finish Games slash Access Software's favorite titles in the Tex Murphy series. Definitely not. How is it? How is it you like came to be involved with uh, not big finish? I guess true golf. I guess was at the time. Like, did you apply? Was there a job opening? Did you meet them at a convention? What? How? <laughs> that... Well, okay. So rewinding back to big finish. So when the Tesla effect Kickstarter was in full effect, and they had agreed to bring me aboard to do visual effects and compositing and editing and special effects on that. I, I moved over to Salt Lake City and worked on that for the duration right up until its release. And rather than send me home, I, of course, naturally had ambitions to maintain and, and pursue my career here in the U.S. And so they said, well, you know, Big Finish Games only exists during the time is that we're working on Tex Murphy. Every other time, it's true golf and we're making golf software and simulators. So they said... If you have an interest in taking your skill set over to that realm as well, we'd be more than happy to keep you aboard. And that's what I did. I transitioned over to work on there. So I learned uh, programming. I learned simulation. I learned, uh, you know, all these aspects of software program that went beyond the discipline of just pre-rendered visual effects and video. And it just got to a stage where now, you know, I can confidently say that I know my way around C-sharp. I know my way around the Unity engine, a little bit of the Unreal engine, some of the proprietary software that they had in-house in for TrueGolf. Um, it was both educational as well as developmental for me. And that's kind of how I maintained uh, involvement with TrueGolf and then by proxy, Tex Murphy throughout the time. So what exactly is a visual effects supervisor what did you yeah. do for tesla FX? yeah it sounds impressive i have no idea what it means um so the visual effects supervisor was there throughout the entire shoot to ensure that 
you know, the setups, like I worked very closely with the director of uh, photography, um, Greg, uh, uh, was it? Yeah, Greg Green and worked closely with him to ensure that the setups and the shots were very visual effects aware for things like motion tracking, for blocking, for spacing. Um, there's a big gag about Matt's balls that goes around a lot and it just basically means those those little ping pong balls you see in a lot of mocap <laughs> mm -hmm. and tracking environments like my responsibility was to ensure they were properly set up and everything was measured so that when it shots when we bring it into the compositing stage we can stage it all within these 3d environments as well so um and then essentially working with all of our visual effects artists which was me and one other person <laughs> to basically ensure the look and feel of everything vfx uh, compositing special effects 3d design rendering blah, the whole thing um was consistent and more importantly to style Makes sense. Um, so, okay, obviously Tesla Effect was at least relatively successful, but uh, the next Tex Murphy project, not quite so much. Uh, tell us a little bit about Poison Pond and what part you didn't start out um, in your neck of the woods, but you kind of came on and then it, I have no idea what ended up happening to it. So tell us about sure. that. Yeah, of course. Uh, so yeah, uh, a hugely talented um, sort of Tex Murphy fan and and 3D environment artist named Holger out of Germany um, came up with the initiative to remaster Overseer because Overseer was one of the most difficult to get run on modern PCs. I think even though it's available on GOG and Steam, there are still some caveats to actually getting it running well. So we came up with this wonderful initiative to do a, do a remaster. And he actually reached out to me fairly early and he said, love the work you did on Tesla Effect. Could you see, try your hand at remastering the video and maybe redoing the visual effects there and giving us some nice uh, video footage? So I jumped on board to assist Holger and then worked with other talented people like uh, uh, Darren and Karen, uh, you know, programmer and artist respectively. And the project was looking excellent. And then at one point it was, it was, it was looking so fantastic that it naturally caught the attention of Chris Jones and Aaron Connors who wanted to sort of throw their hat in the ring so to speak, and offer additional resources, guidance, etc., and then perhaps even uh, make it bigger than just a remake, evolve right, it into yeah. something that was a, a canon continuation, because Aaron always thought Overseer was a bit of a rush job, and it was. Mm -hmm. Intel commissioned the project to be done over the course of only, I think, nine months to produce it. So there are a lot of things that Aaron wanted to do with it, but never got a chance, and so he... He approached Holger, who was the project manager, and said, can we evolve this uh, with your permission? And Holger said, yes, let's do it. Um, and then unfortunately, at some point, uh, because it was a, a departure from just a remake, which the team was already very passionate about, um, there was just certain sort of misalignments between what the team was excited about doing and how Aaron saw it, particularly within the confines of the small scale of the team. And, you know, it just fizzled out as a result of that. So it was not a result of anything sinister along those lines it was just a matter of uh differing opinions and, and the changing of directives kind of caused a bit of a rift that meant it just eventually got sunset as a project so it's unfortunate but uh you know huge testament to the wonderful work that was done on it i mean we've seen a lot of screenshots and videos yeah, yeah. uh hugely talented people and uh, myself included, do wish everyone who was on that project the best with whatever the future endeavors have in store for them. Yeah, it's too bad. I was really looking forward to that. Yeah, well, you mentioned that it's been sunset. Now, we know the Big Finish Games is is no longer a part of it, but in your knowledge, 
are they still actively trying to produce and make this game? Unfortunately, I couldn't answer that question because like I kind of, I went with Big Finish Games because mm -hmm. that I was part of their team when we kind of stepped back from it. Mm -hmm. And while we can say we technically handed the reins to them, yeah. um, ultimately, um, you know, we don't know whether or not it's going to be continued or anything. I mean, it seems unlikely. That's yeah. the only thing I can say. Uh, a lot of work was put into it, um, but, you know, I can't speak on behalf of them because, like I said, uh, sure. you know, we, we kind of went our separate ways. Not 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 back-to-back, -back, walked in opposite directions, just, you know, they moved on to their new endeavors and we did with ours. Yeah, that's why I asked if, if it's in your knowledge, if you knew, because I reached out, I couldn't find anything else that was going on. I haven't heard anything since then, which is uh, re really disappointing. I mean, there's so much. It was it's beautiful. Everything that was put out, was just, it's gorgeous. A gorgeous piece of art. Of course. You know, most Tex Murphy fans would mm -hmm. gladly, like, take a step. Okay, okay, we thought it was going to be this bigger mm -hmm. thing, but, hey, we'll take, we'll we'll gladly step back and take the smaller thing that was originally planned. So give me an episode. Yeah. <laughs> I think the catch with that was, the biggest catch with those and the biggest pain point was mm -hmm. because there were so many differences with the new directive that mm -hmm. the... Uh, you know, no pun intended, the new directive the project took yeah. um, that a lot of what would have enabled the team to revert back to just a remake of Overseer had already kind of been shelved yeah. or enough time had passed where it would need to have a pretty significant overhaul to bring it up to speed anyway, because the team was very progressive about keeping it up to date with the latest tech. And when the new directive pushed it in this direction, mm -hmm. changing it to go back to that direction was going to be a tough sell for them. Yeah, I could yeah. totally get where you're at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So speaking of uh, a lot of work going into things, apparently, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you did a whole lot of work on uh, remastering the Pandora directive. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah, as I said, you know, it was one of those uh, key games that everyone within Access Software thought was just this this wonderful you know um, uh, you know benchmark of of what we believe is the perfect Tex Murphy game, and we wanted to present that to to new audiences, but also you know reward fans for their loyalty um, for being Tex Murphy fans. And so the Pandora Directive project came about because for the longest time the ability to upscale and a lot of people from Sierra will attest to this. If you're relying on only what the output of the game was, your options for remastering content is very limited. And we were very fortunate that people like Doug Vandegrift and Dave Brown were adamant on preserving those original Pandora Directive tapes. And so their tenacity and their dedication to preserving those opened up the door to have us go back and recapture those tapes using the latest in modern technology. And it wasn't until AI upscaling had gotten so good that I grabbed one of these tapes, threw it through the algorithms, tweaked it a little bit, and we looked at it and said, holy crap, this stuff can look like it was shot yesterday at 4K at 60 frames a second. Like, this is wow. a real possibility. And so did some tests, and then Chris Jones said, yeah, I think this is definitely a possibility. And so we committed to, once again, as a passion project, because True Golf will always be the primary uh, directive for the company as a whole, but uh, as a passion project between Doug Vandegrift, myself, Chris Jones, and Aaron Connors, we would dedicate any spare time that we had to 
bringing the Pandora Directive to an anniversary. And we joke, you know, we said the announcement happened on the 25th anniversary, but maybe it's like a naked gun thing. We'll call it uh, Pandora Directive 33 and a third. <laughs> or something like that. So, yeah. So we first talked about this, uh, you and I, gosh, a couple of years ago, a couple of years mm. ago now. And you mentioned that this is something that you folks had planned on doing during your spare time. You know, obviously mm-hmm. you had your priorities, your tears. Now you're no longer working on that project. Can you speak on behalf of that project at all? Where where do we stand at this point? Uh, the remaster? No. So I am. I so I am still working. Like I still have tasks to do, and I currently in progress for the video upscaling process. Um, we have some really excellent articles that I wrote that detail. If you go to bigfinishgames.com slash news Mm -hmm. there's a lot of articles that go into detail as to what's involved in the upscaling process Mm -hmm. now doug vandergrift in parallel to me doing that has been remaking the environments and we've had some articles showcasing those as well and he's he's made really good progress he's he's made most of them in fact with the only um the only ones still work in progress are the ones that attached and chandler avenue itself but all the locations he's he's put a lot of effort into but in terms of my responsibilities, Chris Jones, even though I no longer work specifically at Big Finish Games, has allowed me to maintain my connection uh, to the equipment that I'm using to do the upscaling. And the video upscaling is currently in its third pass. Uh, we Our first pass was generally seeing what AI could do. Second pass was tweaking it, seeing what else it could do. And then the third pass was being the remote, I don't want to get too technical here because once again, it's a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> our third pass has involved a lot of command line tweaking, custom shader programming, all that kind of stuff to ensure that we've properly deinterlaced the source footage and upscale it at its best possible way. And I mean, <laughs> we're seeing some results that literally you could swear was shot yesterday in 4K. It's It's phenomenal, but it takes a long time to process just to give you a general idea the machine i've been using mm-hmm. which is a huge beast mm-hmm. a 16 core hyper threaded rtx 3090 graphics card 128 gigabytes of ram 38 terabytes of storage has been rendering non-stop for 18 months <laughs> on this oh, content no just to give you an idea of how, how involved this is. And so I keep an eye on it. And when mm. it's done, we will then visit the next step of the remastering process. And that is, speaking of which, Adrian Carr has already completed his new edit of the entire game. And so he, I will take his low resolution proxies that he edited with, switch them out with the high resolution upscale 4K versions. And then we can start exploring Doug's new environments compositing the actors into those and getting the new 4k video out um that will be the next step but as was already alluded to it's one of those things that doug myself chris jones are just dedicating some spare time to at the moment so it's going to take time we we know that but you can officially now look at all of us and and say don't worry even though you stepped away there has been some concerns oh is it is it squashed 
Now you can squash those concerns. Thank you so much for doing so. I won't say don't worry. I mean, we're always going to worry about these sort of things. But you leaving is not stopping the project. No, no, it definitely was not a hard stop on the project. And as I said, um, you know, I mentioned on one of the Tex Murphy fan community, I said, as long as Doug Vandegrift and myself at least Mm -hmm. still draw breath, we will be dedicating some of our time to this project in one way or another. Wonderful. Yeah. I'm relieved to hear that. Um, okay, but so um, you've moved on to a new job and um, you're still working on uh, the Pandora Directive, but you've also got uh, another pretty big uh, gig going on behind the scenes. You're a burgeoning author. So maybe <laughs> you'd like to tell us about your writing career that uh, I'm sure is raring to take off. I hope so. I mean, I found a real passion for it. And like, I had an idea. I'm a huge fan of sci fi and you know, detective stories and all that kind of stuff. And while this isn't a specific detective story in general, I had a coworker who was just as into sci-fi and stories as I was. And we'd go to lunch every day while I was working in Sydney and we'd just muse over sci-fi we were in love with and ideas for stories. And so I had this idea for a for a very epic kind of sci-fi story. It kind of spanned three stories, three movies, three books. It was a trilogy. And I had had it in my head for like 10 years and it had gotten to the point where unless I started writing this down, it was going to like poof, disappear. And so to me, writing was always something I imagine you retired onto a riverbed with a typewriter <laughs> and kind of like that kind of stuff. It was this huge commitment. So I never imagined, oh, you know, who has time to write? And then I do a lot of commission work. And for the first time in a very long time, I finished uh, a work day and I didn't have a single piece of commission work to do. And it was actually my birthday, 2020. And I sat down and I thought, huh, I'll give it a shot writing this story. And within the space of, I believe it was four weeks, I looked at the word count and it had hit 120,000 words over the course of about four weeks. It was just vomiting out onto this page. And I thought, okay, I think I can do this. I really think I could do it. And, and it was mainly I was able to produce it that quickly. I'm not claiming it's, 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 um, it's any good or a masterpiece by any stretch of the means, but because it had an idea that had percolated for so long, it kind of came out very quickly. And so I gave it to some very um, keen beta readers. One of them was Aaron Connors, of course, naturally, you know and some other people. Yeah, and, and I said, would you mind reading this? And please be honest, I, I, I benefit not from being told it's fantastic or whatever. If you want me to take a hike, kid, and try something else, please let me know, because it's, it's a time investment. Mm-hmm. And much to my surprise, the vast majority of the beta readers turned around and said, this is a fantastic story. You need to pursue this. And so um, as of today, I have written part two. Mm-hmm. of this story and i'm currently in the process of trying to navigate the traditional publishing route um and i've had some success i was able to uh secure quite early on some some agency interest and representation Thanks. and subsequently i'm now trying to navigate the uh, very crowded realm of uh traditional publishing so um you know uh you know, we've had discussions as well offline about this writing in general. It's 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 a huge gauntlet <laughs> yeah. to navigate. And so I'm super excited about it. And if if it's successful enough, I'd love to pursue this uh, on more of a full-time basis because I enjoy writing a lot. 
Well, maybe you can just kind of casually touch bases on what that gauntlet is. What do you figure is the hardest part that you engage in when writing? Structure, time, what do you have a hard time with? Um, I think the hardest part of writing for me would most likely be, I guess... I guess pacing is one of the things that's extremely difficult because you, when you have a lot of ideas for a story in your head, like usually like with the first book and the second book, um, you have a very good idea of how, a, what happens at the beginning, what happens in the middle, what happens in the end, and then finding something that links it all together. But more importantly, finding something that has the right type of lulls in the right place. Like I, that's one of the things I certainly struggle with, definitely, in, in, a, in a writing sense. Um, one of the things I don't necessarily struggle with, because I have Tex Murphy and Aaron Connors to thank mm. for this, is dialogue. I mean, who better of a dialogue writer than Aaron Connors? I mean, his work is absolutely phenomenal. And when he was reading some of my books, he's like, I could see where you got some of these and ideas from. That's so hard to nail, and especially for a new writer. It's a nail, like, efficient and, and still informative dialogue. Exactly. Hmm. But I'll tell you what, the you know, the, the publishing industry in itself, I mean, I, I have a lot of friends who are, who are writing as well. And, um, you know, it's also been inspiring to watch a lot of my friends who also didn't think themselves mm. as to be writers in general get inspired by... Um, you know, Aaron Connors' work and, and other writers' work. It's uh, Self-publishing definitely has opened the doors to a lot of people who have fantastic stories to tell and they want to get it out there. So are you, like, still actively writing? Are you kind of in a lull period? Or how is that coming along? Now that you're back working and a new job and everything? No, true. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's in a lull at the moment. Uh, like I said, I only just very recently finished volume two of the trilogy. Now, volume one has reached a point where, you know, I kind of want to fish it around out there. Volume two was kind of like a first draft, early draft. It had its beta readers check it out. And now I've received enough feedback to actually engage in a, in a rewrite and an edit of that one. And so I'm in a lull in the sense that I'm still refining number two before I then kick off with uh, number three. Hmm. How interesting. Yeah, see, so we're in the process of, of writing our, our second. We're now 78,000 words in and we find ourselves because we're going to we're putting out three and we've been suggested to, to put three of them out. So it shows that we have our, a track record of, of pushing, but we keep finding ourselves with, okay, two is we're so deep into two that now we're going back and changing one, mm. which it, I mean, it seems like it's, it's one large book or something, but it just creates that so much more like havoc. And okay, now what am I going to do to get it right in number two? It's just a big old squash, but it, it is, it is something that's, that it's, it's super fun and, and, and passionate about. So this is, yeah. this is a, this is an awesome, awesome conversation. Let's talk a little bit more. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about adventure games. You guys, uh, do you have any more questions for him uh, at this part regarding Matt? Before we move on to the next segment, Jack? Uh, I just, I was going to ask one last thing. If you have sort of any, you know, influential writers that you kind of, obviously this is your own vision, but, uh, and Aaron Connors and, Chris Jones had an impact on you sort of dialogue wise, but in terms of sort of general sci-fi, um, you know, thematics and stuff like that, anybody 
really stand out for you? Sure. You know, funnily enough, for all the writing I want to do, I'm not a massive reader. Like I read, uh, but I wouldn't call myself a massive consumer. And so, um, but you know, I'm a huge fan of James S. A. Corey um, with the ex, you know the Expanse series and everything like that. And so, I love the style. I love the, you know I love the story. I love the 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 series um, that was based off of it. And so, I love kind of a lot of sort of progressive sci-fi, but I also like traditional adventure storytelling golden age of adventure kind of asimov style uh mm-hmm. storytelling that's definitely something i align with and i'm most passionate about um because as, as exciting and and modern as progressive sci-fi is there's something about the traditional golden age stories that really appeal to me do you see yourself playing telltales the expanse story that's coming up oh i hope so <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I was just, the Expanse series was just a phenomenal TV series. And to me, it just, it just was like, it, 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 it really grew in excitement. And then at one point it's just like, it's gone. It's over. Yeah. It's, it's all done over and done with. And I'm like, oh wow. Okay. No, I need more. Yeah. There's a void there now. Yes, there is. Well, I guess that kind of does help us uh, go into our next segment, our segment where we'll talk a little bit about adventure games. So we'll talk about Matt's opinions on adventure games. So I, I do have a quick question for you. Now that you have been in the industry, you've been helping create adventure games. Does that kind of make you less of a game player now and more of a work work worker? <laughs> Oh no! I still I still play games. Um, most recent one I played was Stray. That was a lot of fun. Uh-huh. It was a really cute game. Um, what else? I recently shelled out to get a a, a PS VR two because mm-hmm. I'm willing to give VR another try now that uh, PlayStation has made it a little bit more convenient. I mean, I always wanted to give VR a try. I just hated the fact that every time I plugged it in, I'd have like three hours worth of firmware updates and resetting <laughs> up the. The, the tracking nodes every time I wanted to, I don't know, like play 15 minutes of Beat Saber. Um, so I'm interested to see how VR is going um, on that sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, I recently replayed the Mass Effect trilogy for like the fifth time in the last two years, you know. Just, oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I still play games. Um, it's just hard for me to kind of look at them in the same light. <laughs> so... This isn't about um, adventure games per se, but it's certainly fitting since you've been working on the Pandora Directive, uh, which just remasters mm-hmm. in general. Um, like, I, like I obviously the Pandora Directive is sort of the perfect project to remaster, as you've said. You you can take these, you know, old, you know, tiny little um, film clips and you know recreate them in you know sort of modern shot yesterday 4k um so that's kind of perfect but in general i've kind of got a negative feeling about remasters so um i just wanted to get both of your uh, opinions on what you thought of remasters in general they're just becoming you know more and more frequent and is that a good thing is it a bad thing is it just a cheap cash in uh you know where are we yeah, at I, th- remasters? I think it highly depends on the motivation for the remaster I think that in order for a remaster successful, it needs the 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 developer's passion for the right reasons to remaster content has to shine through in the remaster itself. Like gamers are not stupid. They know what a cash grab is and they know what a passion project is. And people need to give gamers a lot more credit than they are. 
<laughs> and in the sense that gamers will know when a remaster is something that the developers said, no, we love this mm -hmm. and we want more people to love this. Uh, that's what a good remaster is. One that's just like, hey, big company gets involved and says, hey, executive CEO remembers this game. He remembers it made money. Maybe we can make money again. Like, that's when I believe the purpose of a remaster can be a little bit maligned. And so I think if it's done with passion, like, let me give an example. I will play every single missed remaster they make till the <laughs> end of time because I know Rand and that team are so darn passionate about missed. And you can see it in all of those ones. The latest one, like, I even commented to Rand one time. I said, Rand, I will play every single remake you make because you are so excited about it every time. Um, whereas some of them are just quite obviously um, just there to remind you something existed. Yeah. I mean, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Well, you mean like Mist, Real Mist, Mist Masterpiece, Masterpiece real, 3D real Edition? Real Mist Masterpiece. Like, uh, <laughs> masterpiece no, no, wait, on wait, 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 VR. <laughs> no, 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 no. You have Real Mist, and now it's Unreal Mist. Oh, because it's, it's made in the Unreal Engine. Engine. Yeah, Brilliant. Unreal Mist. Take my money. Here's another $20. <laughs> uh you yeah. asked me like i have strong feelings um uh, very much i i do think that some games absolutely need them i think that there's some games such as uh, grim fandango is a perfect example of, of yeah. a truly beneficial uh remaster in some ways even remakes i i like the idea of remakes more than remasters but some of those they needed them blade runner on the other hand i mean what did they do if somebody could tell me what they did besides, you know, change some some video settings up a little bit, then that's a whole. Then you get the the changes that are just, I think, are truly detrimental to the original art of the game. You know, they adjust to modern standards and they take out certain types of things that because people are now inconvenienced and they take away a lot of the the art that the game originally gave us and so do i think it's a it's a cash grab again depends on who's putting it out but in most cases i do feel that it's just not a pretty a pretty situation hopefully hopefully we get pandora directive and it's it's worth the the 18 months of processing plus however long it more it's gonna take plus however long mm -hmm. indeed well, you know, going you, Jack, what do you think? <laughs> Green Fandango remaster. One of the things, like, I love the Green Fandango and the mm -hmm. Full Throttle one as well. If we're, we're on the topic of Lucas Arts, and mm -hmm. I, I think it was a fantastic remaster. There is one thing I didn't like about that remaster is when the end credits rolled, the original music during the end credits used to be the track called Ninth Gate or Ninth Heaven. Uh, that nice kind of like uh, uh, that uh, uh, Deus de Muerta sort of tune. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was the most gorgeous, melancholy way to end Grim Fandango. And in the remaster, everything was perfect as it was, except the new end credits track was that... It was way too fanfare to end a game that had a melancholy drop. And I was just, I remember, I remember turning to the person next to me saying, I didn't know they had changed the track. I'm like, oh, this is the most bone chilling part. Like, this is so melancholy. You'll love this. And as the credits rolled, the fanfare smacked it. I'm just like, 
Okay, that caught me totally off guard. Sorry, that was a tangent, but I just had to say that. <laughs> so, Jack, you asked the question. You give us your answer. Oh, man, like, I'm all over the place. I'm, I'm like, on one hand, but on the other hand, like, you need an octopus worth of hands to cover all my uh, opinions on the matter. I'm, again, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of sour on them. I, I don't, like, really like replaying games anyway, so it kind of irks me that, you know, developers are putting so much uh, energy and effort into remastering games that we already have and and generally don't need to be um, remastered. Um, you know, I haven't played Full Throttle Remastered, but, I mean, it was still an awesome game. Um, mm-hmm. Did we really need to have it remastered? But then again, and I, I, I use the phrase cash grab, but is even a cash grab necessarily a bad thing? I mean, if remastering full throttle and grim fandango is what kept double fine alive to give us psychonauts 2 then you know that's an important thing too like you know they've got to deal with financial reality so i mean i see it from both sides i just kind of i don't know well well, grim fandango needed paying for the privilege of replaying a slightly slightly different version of the game that i already have and loved and but I feel like I'm missing out if I don't play the new one, right? So. Well, Grim Fandango, it needed it. It had that terrible 3D keyboard controls, and then it went to point and click, which was which was beautiful. Full Throttle, I didn't think it needed it at all because it had the voices already. It had, and it was all Scum VM, so you scum. could easily emulate it. Yeah. And now I think with the Monkey Islands uh, remasters and and gave us voices, which I think was a big deal. I, I think that's yeah. something that kind of brought the old generation into the new. We could introduce these, these wonderful games to our children or however. So yeah, certainly, certainly it, it depends on the game. I think that's the best way to answer it. Yeah. <laughs> well, can I just say that I played all of the new Grim Fandango with the original tank controls? <laughs> can I, can oh, I, it was rough, was it? it? Yeah, no, it was it was fine, and uh-huh. it was funny because I just did it naturally, mm. instinctively, because I'd played it so many times. I'd mm. got used to playing it with tank controls. Yeah. And when I'd finished the game, this little achievement slides in, and it says, the right way, Tim Schafer insisted we put this achievement in. <laughs> that was literally the achievement that I got for playing the whole game with tank controls, which was uh, fantastic. But, uh, yeah, you know, it, like, you know, remasters, once uh-huh. again, could be a whole other uh, podcast topic. Yeah. Well, we've already gone gone fifty minutes. I gotta ask you before before we go into our final closing. Uh, I want to know what your favorite non Tex Murphy adventure games are. Just run through a few of them. Um, yeah, so Grim Fandango is definitely right up there mm-hmm. at the top. I really enjoyed um, Fate to Black. That was really really good. Uh, that's that's going out the classic. I remember trying to play that on a 486 and still loving the hell out of it, even though DX25. It was a DX50, so it wasn't terrible, mm. but uh, mm-hmm. good enough for Under a Killing Moon, but not the Pandora Directive. Right. <laughs> um, what other adventure games? Is like you know, like you know, it's a lot of the Lucas Art stuff. I was never a huge Sierra fan, mm-hmm. funnily enough, but I did enjoy Police Quest. I really love the Police Quest games. That was an excellent series. Um, but never really got into many other of the those ones. And then, uh, yeah, if we want to get into sort of like more modern adventure games, I don't know. And like when it comes to modern games, I guess I, I'm a huge, like I said, I'm a huge fan of Mass Effect and those ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, 
like I said, if, if I had a top five list that I had to exclude Tex Murphy from for obvious reasons, um, it would most certainly be, um, you know, uh, Grim Fandango, Full Throttle, uh, Fade to Black, Mist, and the Mist series. I'm all roping into one here. Um, what else was there? Oh, God, I'm blanking on the name, but it's so popular. Um, uh, Journeyman. Journeyman Project. Games. You talk about node-based. Huge. I thought you didn't like node-based games. I didn't say I didn't like node-based. Oh, that's true. I you said didn't. Not real-time ruined node-based games for you me. You did mention Mist, too. You do like Mist. And he does like sci-fi. Yep. Exactly. So, yeah, that, those will be some of my favorite adventure games from that same era if I were to exclude Tex Murphy from it all. If there was a Hall of Fame, Adventure Game Hall of Fame, would you put Chris Jones in there as Tex Murphy and creator of Tex Murphy? I would totally put Chris Jones in there as Tex Murphy. I mean, he still is to this day. I, well, okay, no, actually, no. This may have changed with the new Monkey Island. So for the longest time, um, Guybrush Threepwood had a Guinness World Record for the longest running, uh, tech, uh, longest running adventure game character, which held his breath. All of which Tex Murphy fans were up in a rage about because if you go to the Tex Murphy wiki, you'll see the whole controversy there. And basically Tex Murphy technically is a longer running protagonist. And unfortunately he was not awarded the Guinness world record for the longest running adventure game protagonist because they considered Tesla effect as a remaster. They said ah, I see. that mm-hmm. it's dis- he's disqualified because Tesla effect is not a Canon continuation. And everyone was just like, uh, yeah, it is. And then so what happened was it says, no, it's not a canon continuation. And so then there was another Guinness World Record. So the longest wait between two games in an adventure game series, and it should have gone to Tex Murphy for overseer to Tesla effect. But that also went to Guybrush Streetwood. Uh, no, 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 no ill will towards uh, Guybrush at all. I love the no. character. But uh, it's <laughs> like that should have gone to Tex. And they said, oh, no, um, it, 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 it wasn't that it was something that contradicted the first Guinness World Record that disqualified Tex Murphy from that one as well. So both of them erroneously went to Guybrush Streetwood and Guinness was just like, nah, it is what it is. And that kind of thing. Although I must say that with the new uh, Monkey Island, he can probably have that back now. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, yeah, uh, un- unless... Unless we end up getting another Tex Murphy game coming up that's right. later on. Yeah. We'll just have that's to a good motivator as any. <laughs> Jack, I threw two extra questions on there. Do you have another one that you want to throw in? Um, no, I mean, I think uh, like if we're going to, we did uh, match top five adventure games. I think we better get to our own top five. If we're going to wrap this up in under two hours. Fictional <laughs> detectives. We're going to go around the room and we're going to do our top five fictional detectives. Could be. Movies, video games, books. So, Matt's the guest. We're going to let you go first, my friend. What is your five or one? Could be any of them. Top five. Pens, can I, can I put Tex Murphy in there or do I have no, to you exclude don't. him? No, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you probably should. For, 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 for the sake of fun, I will put him in there, but I'll also exclude him and I'll give you five more. Okay. So six in total. We'll go one so, at a time. Uh, we'll go around the room. Yeah, okay. Uh, so first off, let's hit up TV. I'm a huge fan of Columbo. I love Columbo. I think I think Peter Falk is a fantastic uh, actor, and I, I really loved Columbo a lot. Okay, well, I'm going to go with uh, a Lucius Pendergrass. 
from the a Pendergrass novel, a Pendergrass series. So oh, I... it's a F, he's an FBI agent, uh, eccentric, brilliant, uh, much like Sherlock Holmes. And so is my first one. Um, this is sort of low-hanging fruit, but I got to go with uh, Agatha Christie's Hercule Poirot. Uh-huh. I love that little Belgian, man. He's so, <laughs> so funny. Like, to me, what separated him from a lot of the other brilliant detectives is he, he always seemed to have a little twinkle in his eye, or at least that's mm-hmm. how I read him. Oh, and I should say, this only applies to the books. I've never liked or never been satisfied with a, a TV or movie version of him, but because uh, I always read him differently than any portrayal I've ever seen, so. I'm still waiting for the perfect Poirot on screen. Great Wonderful. choice. Uh, next up, I would say I wanted to put uh, put a female detective in there. And originally I was going to say uh, Irene Adler. I know she's not technically a detective. But I'm a huge fan of Sherlock Holmes, and I love the fact that she kind of out- outwitted him a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. But then another fantastic female detective crossed my mind, and that was Jessica Fletcher. Uh, Murder, she wrote. Murder, she wrote. Oh, I love mm-hmm. it. Did- absolutely just just her demeanor and everything and just how calm and collected and smart she was i just i used to love watching that series with my mom did irene adler actually outwit sherlock or did sherlock was sherlock just blinded by his uh, infatuation with her well, that's probably her strength isn't it that's true that she uses that she uses that okay uh, my next one's going to be encyclopedia brown now tell me you guys remember the these books as as youth. Oh please tell me. I remember me. encyclopedias. <laughs> Encyclopedia no, Brown. I remember the color brown. I, I I don't remember the two of them ever going together. Less Facebook, more book book, Jack. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> He's not even a Facebook guy. No, Encyclopedia I remember Brown. Wikipedia Blue. <laughs> like this is a, a youth series. Uh, he's like a 12-year-old uh, preteen. He'd solve all the crimes around around his city. His father was a detective and everything. It, I read everyone. Oh, man, I was addicted. Encyclopedia huh. Brown. Wow. Okay. This was not on my list, but uh, mm-hmm. it reminds me kind of of the Hardy Boys when I was a kid. Yeah. I was like right into then probably another age gap thing i might have been a little it's like the hardy boys but just younger yeah yeah okay cheesier um my next one is pretty much as far away from the brilliant detective as you could possibly get it is uh inspector jacques clouseau uh starring (laughs) peter sellers i mean is outside of chris jones and tex murphy has there ever been a more perfect marriage of actor (laughs) and role than uh, Sellers and Clouseau, just just amazing stuff. Agreed. If you love him so much. Why don't you get a room? <laughs> <laughs> a, a what? <laughs> oh, a room. That's what I said. Not now. Lovely. Um, okay, here's a blast uh, from you know some some eighties early nineties here. Mm-hmm. Remington Steel. Ah, uh, yes. Pierce Brosnan before he was uh, Goldeneye and uh, James Bond. I, so funnily enough, I didn't discover Remington Steele until I discovered uh, Brosnan's James Bond, who mm-hmm. is one of my now. I will say he's one of my favorite ones only because his was the first one that exposed me to James Bond, given my age. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he's he's not the best by many stretches there, but uh, then I went and said I want to see more of this guy because he's so suave. Uh, and then Remington Steele, I was just like, this is actually pretty exciting as a detective. Oh, man. Okay, 
is a can we count 007 nope. as a detective? I mean, he does detects, right? <laughs> no, okay, all right, I'm pushing it here. Yeah, <laughs> all right, we're gonna go with save uh, it for your fits if, if you know, save it for your okay. desperation move if you need one. All right, I'm gonna go with Jack Reacher, and mm, yeah. oh, of course. Oh, Jack Reacher, man. He's a military police, brilliant military policeman, especially in a lot of the the prequel books from Lee Child. Uh, just absolutely on it. He has everything you want out of a tough guy. He's quick-witted, and he follows it up. Love it. Good choice. That's, yeah, that, that's a sort of book Jack Reacher, right? Not movie Jack Reacher? Cause... They've not made any movies based off his, his military police days. He's most, mostly just the, the guy who roams around the country in, in, in the movies and some of the later books. So. Okay, I'm not really a big sitcom guy just because mm-hmm. I think I could write most of them better in my sleep than uh, you know we get on TV generally. But there's one sitcom current-ish sitcom that i absolutely love is brooklyn 99 so i'm going with jake peralta yes again played to perfection by andy samberg love 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 that guy he's so so fun that was on my list so good oh sorry man no no that's great i think of a new one now no no i've got a few more that was a great one i'm so glad that you thought of that okay all right here's a name for you see if you can tell me where it comes from inspector frank bumstead you know the name? I don't. So, you know the movie Dark City? Yep. I don't. Yeah, the one directed by Alex Price. So, Inspector Frank Bumstead plays the detective uh, in the movie Dark City, who uh, works very... Uh, initially tries to discover why, you know, John Murdoch, the main character, um, is a murderer, but there's something about John Murdoch that doesn't quite sit right with him. And why I love him as a detective is he, throughout the entire movie, can see the wood from the trees. He knows that there's something not right about this murderer or who everyone thinks is a murderer. And he's just about the only one who can kind of see through that there's something sinister going on with the city in general. And he's just noir as heck, <laughs> kind of like Tex Murphy. He also plays the uh, accordion in his spare time. Just a fantastic detective. Forgotten about that. Do you remember who the actor is? I, I can't play uh, Yeah, yeah, John Hurt. Oh, it's John Hurt. Oh, Will, no, William Hurt. Sorry, I get, the, I get my oh, hurts mixed yeah. up. William Hurt, not John Hurt. I call him Bill. <laughs> oh, man. So since Jack took one that I thought there was zero, zero chance that any of you were going to take. I love spoilers. I might just have to take one that I assumed that Jack would have taken by now. Batman. Good work. Batman. Oh, yeah. It's on my list. But Is it's it really? below my five. Okay. So. Okay, good. I, now I don't feel so bad. I had to get Batman in there. Like, all right, Batman. Yeah, world's greatest detective, man. For sure. For yeah, sure. I, I almost like totally spaced when I was thinking of detectives, but yeah, then I went, oh yeah, Batman. Of course. <laughs> I mean, he's just so often portrayed as like the brooding superhero. You f- kind of forget the detective origins. But uh, uh, is it me? Yep. Yes, it is. Okay, uh, another TV show. It's going back a little ways. I'm going to go with Lenny Briscoe of Law and Order. Again, played to perfection by mm. the wonderful but late uh, Jerry Orbach. So, just great, great character. All right. Uh, well, uh, I think this is my fifth one. And let's go on to, let's stick around with TV. 
Uh, Robert Gorin from Law and Order Criminal Intent. Mm. So absolutely loved his in-your-face style. Um, played. I always, I, I never pronounce his last name correct. Vincent Dionforio or Don oh, yeah, yeah, I don't never get his name pronunciation right, but I always loved how how witted he was, and it was one of the very few Lauren Orris series that told you exactly what happened. So you got the whole Hitchcock effect of knowing uh, more than anyone else does, and you get to kind of see how he comes to his conclusions. And he was so in your face, um, perfect, perfect detective in my opinion. Okay, and since uh, Sherlock Holmes has not been brought up, I'm going to go with Sherlock Holmes, but the BBC Sherlock Holmes. What is it? Cum- Cutterbirds or what? what's that actor's Benedict name? Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch. Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch. Words. Name Words. Words. <laughs> Better name. Yeah, I think that is the, the best interpretation outside of Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. is just everything he does is just so brilliant. But... Mm-hmm. If I'm going to go like a little bit further down the line, I, I'm going to go with BBC's Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, like, is just phenomenal. So I loved so him good. in the imitation game as well. Just oh, a yeah. phenomenal actor. Yeah, he's great in everything. Mm. All right. Since we're a bunch of uh, gamers, um, you know, I had to include at least one uh, gaming um detective although i guess poirot counts as a gaming detective too because there are a few but i am gonna go and no you know assuming tex murphy was already off the board i'm gonna go with detective francis mcqueen from the dark side detective although i have to admit this is really kind of a twin deal him and officer dooley because Mm -hmm. to me they're a package deal you know one without the other is not nearly um, as interesting or effective, but the two of them as a pair, they're just absolutely hilarious. Gotta love McQueen and Dooley. Well, there you go. Yeah. All right. So we went around the room. We threw out all of our favorite fictional detectives and, and Tex Murphy, obviously that goes without saying Tex Murphy's in there. And so amazing sub question. We mentioned Batman. We all agreed Batman was cool, right? Which Batman, which Batman is the first one pops to your head? Oh, gotta go Christian Bale, right? Gotta go. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that, that is actually the first one that pops in my head, but not the coolest. I'm going to go with Christian Bale. Oh, Jack, this is such an interesting question for Jack. He's, he's straining. He's I am, yeah. Jack is a huge comic book guy. Oh, I'm, I'm going to go last. Let's, let's oh yeah. Okay. Go. What do you think? Matt? Yeah, I would, I would, I would do, I would put Christian Bale in there. Like, I have a soft right. spot for anyone who can use shark repellent in a can. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So Adam West has my, uh, has kind of like my allegiance there. But no, I think, uh, yeah, I'm with you there. Okay, I have the perfect answer, and I can't think of the guy's name. He is the voice actor for the animated Batman cartoon. Like, oh. Everyone loves him. I'm, I'm going to kick myself later for not remembering his name. You're not talking about Mark hmm. Hamill, are you? No, no. He oh. was the Joker. He's the Joker, He's a right? Yeah. Joker, but. Uh, mm. Oh, that's gonna okay. Well, give us give us one that you can you can think of without. Oh, I got to go with Christian Bale too. He, he's not he's not perfect by any means, but uh, you know, better than Keaton. Definitely better than Adam West. Although, yeah, I grew up on those corny old shows too. So. Yeah, no love for Ben Affleck, huh? <laughs> oh, totally forgot. Yeah, none for uh, 
Mm, what is go- I'm way too tired tonight. This is the new guy that did the Batman <laughs> series, the young guy. All right. Well, you tell Pattinson. Oh, Pattinson, Robert Pattinson. Yeah, no. Oh, okay. He's the voice in the anime. No, 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 series? no. He's the new but he's the new he's oh, the new, new. Okay. throwing out other people that play the role, so. Okay. Oh, oh, do I get a special mention? It just popped into my head like a detective, fictional detective. Do um, it. Did you guys ever play the game Observer? No. No. The Observer game. Uh-huh. Uh, Rutger Hauer did the voice actor to the main detective in the Observer game. I'm trying to remember what his name was. But yeah, Rutger Hauer did the voice for Observer is a cyberpunky, very dystopian, mm-hmm. fantastically yeah. moody adventure game, detective game. Um, I don't know who his character is in the story, though. But uh, Kevin, honorable Kevin mention. Conroy is the name. Sorry to interrupt, but Kevin Conroy is the name I was trying to think of. Oh, Kevin oh, gotcha. Conroy. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up because I was going to have to edit that in like later on <laughs> in the show. So, yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. We really, yes. we really appreciate it. We can officially call you friend of the show. This is the third time that you have either been on this particular podcast. Uh, I guess we did our interview together a while back ago in, in another organization. And also we did our, uh, our, our debut, the 12 the hour. Yeah. So Matt, we really, really appreciate you. Where can we find you? Uh, let's see. Uh, you know, you can find me on Twitter. That's where I am mostly socially. Um, yeah, that's probably the best one. I guess I'm not a huge social person unless I have a really any good news to share, mm-hmm. but, uh, on Twitter at, uh, Matt Van Roon is, is probably your closest bet. And, uh, I promise to keep people as updated as I can with regards to Tex Murphy, as well as the writing exploits and anything else related to adventures and this kind of stuff in general. And Matt, you, we really appreciate you, Jack. I, I almost called Jack Matt. Well, I did actually, but I, I, I adjusted. Jack, I was going to let it slide, but you, you know, you, you gave yourself away. I. This has been a long day, man. Like, it has been. and I need to eat so bad. You mentioned our our thirty three games that's coming up. Anything else that we should be excited about at Adventure Game Hotspot? Oh, uh, things next week are a little bit up in the air. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got a full slate of reviews uh, coming. So I think we're probably going to lead with. One called uh, Paper Ghost Stories, mm-hmm. 7 p.m. is a really interesting sort of cardboard cutout character drama game. And then there's sort of a abandoned city amnesiac protagonist called Eden Gate, The Edge of Life. So uh, those are coming up. Whether those are next week, I'm not sure. But it's all about the top 33. And you can find Jack over at AdventureGameHotspot.com. He's always over there. He lives Correct. lives there. You can find us anywhere where you consume your podcast. This is the Adventure Game Hotspot podcast, and we're also on YouTube. So look for us over there. Like, subscribe, yada, yada, yada. Emphasis on the yada. Gentlemen, <laughs> thank you for joining us. As always, thank you for, for watching and listening. Let us know if you enjoyed it. Let us know if you have any questions down in the comments below, and we'll see you in the next video. So long. Yeah.